Welcome to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production from Mar Addiction Treatment Center. I'm Matt Shedd. At Mar, we don't specifically address nicotine dependence as part of our program of treatment, and clients are permitted to smoke cigarettes, though they are not permitted to use e-cigarettes, also referred to as vaping. So to get a clinical perspective on the issues of smoking and vaping as they relate to long-term health and recovery, Mar spoke with a psychologist from the community, Dr. Mark Ackerman, who has expertise in treating addictions, including recreational drugs, alcohol, compulsive behavior, and nicotine dependence. Yeah, I see um, people who come in for help with nicotine dependence frequently because they have themselves developed some kind of a set of symptoms. Uh, and then subsequently I might hear, yeah, my uncle died of lung cancer or my mom had some health-related problems and, and we know that it was due to smoking and I don't want to end up like her or I don't want to end up like my uncle. So I think that can play a role. Frequently the biggest uh, element is is somebody who's middle-aged or older uh, presents with um, a recent diagnosis that's tobacco-related, and they have become motivated to stop smoking, to stop using tobacco uh, products. Um, we're also seeing, and this is, um, I think, a benefit of, of educational uh, settings, we're also seeing people who come in and have children or grandchildren who have learned how harmful tobacco products are and, and uh, you know, uh, tell their parents or their grandparents, hey, you need to stop this. It's really unhealthy. I don't want to be around you if you're smoking. And frequently um, a child or a grand, grandchild can be quite an incentive um, to a middle-aged or older person uh, about quitting smoking. I was recently talking with somebody who was telling me that um, – uh, actually, this is a uh, this is a Mar employee. Oh, and she yeah. was telling me that um, when she became pregnant a couple of years ago, her dad, who had been smoking for several decades, was warned by her that uh, if he didn't quit smoking, he wouldn't be able to be around the baby. He'd have to wash his hands and change his clothes and such. And that served to be a real motivational force to get him to think about quitting and ultimately totally quit and just gave it up because of that incentive. Uh, to be around young family members, to be around a grandchild. So I often find that people who struggle with, with addiction need some form of an incentive or a motivation to quit if they've been doing it for a long time. Health is often uh, a factor, and then a significant other, a family member, whether someone's become ill or sick or you know recently passed away, or if there's a young relative, a grandchild or a child who says, hey, this is really, really bad, dad, why are you smoking? Those can really serve to be powerful elements in, in helping people uh, quit. Yeah. And along those lines, as a psychologist, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts like our commercials or where that kind of try to sh like scare people into quitting smoking is, or maybe like I've heard like in Europe they'll put pictures you know scary pictures of like lung disease or some you know inside the cigarette pack are, are those effective methods well you know what the literature tells us that they're really not very effective uh, the problem you get is that people who have a strong dependence on these products um, can sometimes become very resistant when they feel like they're being pushed too hard 
So what we like to do is meet the individual where they're at and provide information if they're asking for it. Um, and there's a technique called motivational interviewing that can be very effective in working with people who are sort of on the fence about giving up an unhealthful habit or who are resistant. Uh, but, but I have personally found over the years in doing this, and I've you know educated myself in working with so many people, that scare tactics are just not particularly effective. So people listening to this shouldn't go try and scare their family members into, exactly. <laughs> to, to quitting. Exactly. Exactly. I think uh, ultimately you have three key elements that uh, when combined yield the greatest success in giving up uh, most addictions. But in particular, since we're talking about nicotine and tobacco, it's number one, you have to be motivated to want to change. Uh, and when you have that element of motivation and commitment to change, um, then you go to the next level. The next ingredient would be technique and uh, behavior change modalities and attitude change and environmental uh, circumstances can play a very big role in use of a broad array of, of different kinds of um, uh, uh, chemicals, recreational drugs and such. And then uh, the medication component of uh, helping people uh, feel less uncomfortable while they're going through the process mm -hmm. of, of giving up tobacco-related products. So as I mentioned before, uh, we have some FDA-approved products out on the market which have been very helpful. And, and I'm just, I'd be interested here to, to also hear your thoughts on the intersection of, so nicotine or tobacco cessation and trying to abstain from alcohol or drugs, like how, how do you typically approach that with clients? Because I know like in 12-step fellowships, smoking cigarettes or vaping is really common mm -hmm. because it's kind of a stopgap. I guess that's how it's viewed by the person. Well, at least I'm not drinking yeah. still or, right. or using cocaine or whatever it may be. So how do you treat that with patients as you're working with them? Well, that's a really good question. Um, we we know that um, people often move from people who have um, dependence on certain on certain uh, chemicals. Um, there had been the thought over over time that tobacco was the lesser of the evils, and so people would often um, move from one form of a recreational drug uh, to nicotine, tobacco-related products, thinking, hey, this is legal, this is okay, uh, as long as I'm just doing this, um, and if it helps me feel better, then I'm fine. And I think for decades, that was sort of the, the mental approach to, to smoking uh, for folks who had addiction that uh, as long as they kept it to only nicotine-related products, that um, it wasn't a terrible thing. And what we see, if we look really closely at the literature on um, what kills people from the standpoint of addictive behavior, tobacco is really at the top of the list um, because of the very, very significant effects it has on the cardiovascular system. Um, it, it, it can lead to... Um, hypertension. It could lead to um, COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, it could lead to various forms of, of other conditions uh, that affect the body and that uh, impede 
uh, overall health. So, uh, yeah, I think that the there's sort of a myth uh, about um, if you smoke but you don't do anything else, well, it's not a great thing. But, you know, if that's the thing that keeps you away from using other drugs of abuse, well, we'll kind of accept that. Uh, and we're learning now that that's really not the case and that it's probably best to give up all products that, that are addictive uh, because if you continue to smoke, even though you get away from other, other uh, addictions, uh, that can lead you back to using those products again at some point in the future. So, yeah, when you're working with somebody um, who's trying to quit, say they're an alcoholic who's trying to quit drinking, do you introduce that right away or do you wait typically? I mean, what would your advice be to someone who's a sm uh, smoked cigarettes and is also addicted to other drugs of abuse? Yeah. Well, I would I would probably uh, want to hear what they have to say first and what they're motivation is. And so people who are motivated to overcome a particular problem, I might say, well, we're going to work on that. And um, how do you feel as well about giving up tobacco use? Because tobacco use is probably tied in with uh, other recreational drug use. Frequently, um, nicotine use and tobacco use and smoking follows use of other uh, recreational drug products. So um, they're often tied together. And I might, uh, I might suggest that they think about quitting and let them know that we can help them with that as well. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately, um, being fully successful at overcoming uh, addictive behavior uh, usually, usually means um, giving up smoking ultimately. And I, something that I think we we definitely want to cover is vaping because it's it's been in the news a lot. A lot of people might not know that much about it. For the uninitiated, could you kind of give us a brief overview of what vaping is and what are some of the risks associated with it? Absolutely. So vaping, e-cigarettes produce an aerosol by heating a liquid that contains flavorings, chemicals, and quite frequently uh, nicotine and sometimes THC. And the user would inhale that aerosolized vapor into their lungs. Um, and the whole idea behind e-cigarettes, um, which kind of hit the, the market uh, about 13 or 14 years ago, was to help people quit smoking. Um, one of the problems that's subsequently developed is that um, younger people who were not often sm were not smokers began to use... Uh, jewels and began vaping and using e-cigarettes because they thought it was cool. And so many young people, high school uh, kids and even some middle school uh, folks got started uh, with tobacco products through vaping because unlike cigarettes, vaping was sort of marketed as being a, a cool sort of a thing to do that was relatively safe. And because it has different kinds of flavorings like mint and strawberry and such, it it became fairly appealing to young people, young adults. Um, it has been shown to be potentially helpful for adults who are trying to transition away from more traditional uh, tobacco products like smoking and chewing and snuff and such. But the problem is it's turned into a, a, a habit and a harmful habit for young people who were never smokers to begin with and now have gotten started on nicotine-related products. And that 
and then that what we have seen is that that can turn into a tobacco or a nicotine addiction over time. Mm. Gotcha. So there is is there some truth that it could potentially be a tool to help people stop smoking cigarettes? Yeah, there's some preliminary evidence that shows that adults, middle-aged and older adults who've been smoking for a long time who are motivated to quit and try electronic cigarettes can have some success if they are diligent about their goals and their commitment to quitting and strictly use, you know, electronic cigarettes as a way to transition away. The problem is that we do have some adults who are addicted to nicotine products who continue to smoke and use electronic cigarettes and kind of uh, go back and forth, and that creates um, more dependence on nicotine. Mm, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then there's there's the whole issue, too, of people using it um, to smoke marijuana, correct? Yeah. I mean, there, there have been some studies that have shown that some of the vaping devices are spiked with uh, THC, mm-hmm. which produces uh, some kind of a psychoactive reaction, a high, a sense of pleasure, a sense of relaxation. And that, of course, can lead to dependence. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there are so many different forms now of electronic cigarette and vaping with different kinds of um, components to them um, that you're not really sure what you're getting. Um, most electronic devices are produced overseas, frequently over in Asia and China. And one of the problems has been you don't really know what's in these devices. And a couple of months ago, we had a real problem with um, pneumonia um, uh, and and acute respiratory distress uh, among some people who were using um, electronic devices. And this was kind of all over the news. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a caution. Uh, Not only do we have the risk of simply breathing in aerosolized Uh, chemicals which contain nicotine, which is very high-level habit-forming. But uh, if you get a bad batch and you breathe in chemicals that are harmful, you you run the risk of developing a lung infection. Wow. So even even with people that are, you know, like presumably purchasing these cartridges or however they come through like factory produced cartridges, they can still get a bad batch. And yeah, again, again, it's overseed overseas is where they're produced primarily. So there's very little oversight and they're shipped over here and there's no way to know for sure what's, what's in those devices. How would you kind of summarize the, the public misconception about vaping? Well, I, I think that um, if if people go into uh, the use of electronic cigarettes uh, with the goal of quitting tobacco products and uh, overcoming dependence on nicotine and stay with that goal, I, I think that they could potentially be helped. But it's not an FDA-approved uh, treatment for overcoming nicotine dependence or quitting smoking. And my recommendation would be to use FDA-approved um, evidence-based uh, approaches that that uh, combined behavior change and attitude change with uh, nicotine replacement modalities like nicotine patch, nicotine gum. We also have some oral medications that, of course, have been out for over 15 years. If you had to predict what the future of electronic cigarettes and um, vaping looks like over the next 
10, 20 years. What, what do you kind of see happening in the culture with those? Well, my hope is that it will go away uh, because it's not uh, a legitimate uh, treatment modality to help people overcome nicotine and tobacco dependence, and it's got a lot of negatives associated with it. So I think as more and more research comes out, uh, I think the dangers of, of using electronic uh, cigarette products will become more more well-known, and uh, um, um, you know, hopefully people will turn to safer approaches to helping them overcome those problems. Mm-hmm. And do you see the, the needle kind of moving on that at all with these news stories that you referenced earlier? Are people start, do you think people are starting to kind of wake up to, oh, maybe this isn't as safe as I thought it was? Yeah, absolutely. With the, with the problems that have occurred over the last couple of months with lung infections, I think there's been a lot of uh, attention in the media to the risks of vaping ele- electronic cigarette devices. And uh, I know personally from working with some folks that they are now very cautious and careful about, you know, opting to vape and opting to use electronic cigarettes because of what they heard on the news. I think the recent um, reports about uh, respiratory distress and lung infections has really uh, put a spotlight on, on what some of the risks are in vaping. What would you suggest for a parents who just found out their 16-year-old son or daughter is vaping, what, what approaches would, would you pass on to them? I, I would say sitting down with, with the young adult or the teen and kind of finding out what's going on uh, rather than blaming or you know, making accusations or threatening them about consequences. I might want to ask, um, how did you get started with this, and um, why do you think you might be using it? And and then if there's a good opportunity and um, the teen or the young adult is open to information, I would then want to provide the information. Uh, but I think that if you come on too strong, you get a little pushback, uh, and so you have to be careful about that. It really ties into what you were saying earlier about the scare tactics and advertising campaigns about anti-smoking. It, it puts exactly. people on the defensive if it's too threatening. And, That's exactly right. And their brain shuts down. So. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So if you had one thing to pass, this is my last question, if you had one thing to pass on to people who are listening, what would it be? Um, well, um, I think that um, we have, studies have shown that tobacco use is probably the number one cause of chronic illness and premature death. And um, life is short, and the human body is very delicate. And um, if you can avoid use of tobacco products, uh, you should. And if you are presently using, you should think very seriously about giving it up and finding ways to manage your life uh, or derive other forms of pleasure that would lead to the same sense of of relief and pleasure and enjoyment as nicotine products do because they are out there. And I think the statistics tell us that uh, about 87% of the U.S. population does not currently use nicotine or tobacco products. One of the most common things I hear from people is they know it's bad, they want to quit, but when they get upset or when they get angry or when they're feeling very stressed, 
this is the thing that gives them relief <clears throat> so that um, learning techniques to help them manage those difficult situations in their lives that are not harmful to their body would be the way to go. And there are a lot of opportunities uh, to, to find help and support and resources to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot like the treatment we do here for drugs and alcohol. It's We refer to it as feeling school. So exactly. learning how to cope with the feelings before you pick up the drink or the drug and sounds like it's a similar approach. for. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ackerman. This was such a pleasure, and thanks for taking the time to educate us. A yeah, bit. thanks for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate uh, having a chance to come over tomorrow and talk with you. Thanks for listening to Stories of Recovery, a Mar Recovery Resources production. I'm Matt Shedd. The executive producer for our show is David Tate, and Angela Edmonds is the associate producer. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.